Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the Joshua Shaw Audio Experience. Firstly, thank you for giving me a bit of your attention. I'm honored you trusted me with it, and I promise to return the favor by giving you a ton of edutainment value back. In my latest podcast episode, a special guest and I will dive deeper into this critical moment that seems to be presenting itself in the probiotics market. But before we get started, I would love if you took 52 seconds out of your day to leave a rating review, whichever podcasting platform you're currently listening to. This helps me out immensely in terms of extending the reach of my podcast, but more importantly, allows me to make improvements based on your feedback. Thank you again. Now enjoy my newest podcast episode. 900 billion CFUs includes 20 diverse strains that are scientifically proven. Huh? If I was just another mainstream consumer searching for the right probiotics, it would be, without a doubt, a super confusing shopping experience. And I see that as a major problem. So is it time for a probiotics market reset? Probiotics are the go-to for gut health. And outside of highlighting yogurt as a clear food example, probiotic supplements would be where most consumers reach if they were looking to maintain or improve the good bacteria in their body. But probiotic supplements can be costly and their formulation varies widely. Traditionally, Probiotic supplements were tailored to those looking to better the digestive health, but positioning has recently broadened into areas such as immunity or mood support, as mainstream consumers better understand that nearly all internal systems of the human body are influenced by the gut. Moreover, incorporating these functional ingredients into snacks and beverages is driving further growth for the already multi-billion dollar probiotics industry. I say all this because while consumers are certainly more aware than ever about gut health and probiotics are more commercially available than ever, could that perfect storm be creating unintended consequences? This was actually a topic of a recent conversation that I had with the Nutiani team, and they were kind enough to support this content creation exploration of my curiosity. But if you shop for probiotics recently, two things probably stood out to you. The first is that decoding the names of probiotics feels like a mix of vocabulary you had to memorize but never did for the test in that science class you hated in high school, and then terminology from your favorite sci-fi movies. Now, there are labeling guideline reasons for all that genus, species, and strains naming convention stuff for probiotics, but the knowledge gap it inevitably creates means that consumers focus on numerical measures. If a supplement has one probiotic, then a supplement with two or heck 20 probiotic strains must be better, right? But it's possible that some combinations of strains may not work well together. Or what is an even more common numerical measure is how Supplement brand marketers emphasize colony-forming unit, aka CFU count, on the bottle. Probiotic supplement brands have pushed CFU count as the major point of differentiation 
because it gives consumers an easy number that they can use to compare competing products. That makes sense on some levels, except for the fact that CFU count doesn't mean all that much on its own and only tells a consumer what kind of numbers a probiotic supplement starts with, not how many bacteria make it to the gut alive. Comparison by CFU count also generates a business challenge for the supplement industry because of its commoditization effect. Just think about it this way. A probiotic supplement with huge CFU counts of some cheap generic strain shouldn't be priced at the same level as, say, the Nutiani HN001 strain with similar CFU counts. That's because the Nutiani HN001 strain has human clinical data that's recognized in numerous peer-reviewed journals, proprietary manufacturing techniques that deliver high survival rates, non-GMO project verification, and it has a well-established history of use showing no adverse effects. The fact is that more isn't always better when we're talking probiotics. Nutiani looked at this like quality versus quantity question in a late 2022 survey that found consumers would prefer a product with a low CFU count of two clinically tested strains over one with high CFUs of 12 different strains but had no clinical testing. But I'll say that the biotics market overall has become extremely fascinating to me ever since I had the opportunity to attend and be the keynote speaker at Probiota Americas 2021. Yet, I'll be the first to admit that I'm far from the subject matter expert that will get into like the nitty gritty of science, especially when it seems as though researchers are discovering more about the gut microbiome basically every day. So I decided to ask my good friend, Noah Oredes, to join me in an insightful conversation that helps drive home some points about the probiotic market. For those that don't know Noah, he is a scientific researcher and founder of the boutique consulting firm, GenBiome, that focuses on the intersecting areas of personalized nutrition, microbiome, genetic testing, CPG, and digital health. Also, Noah and I reference an article in like the first part of our conversation, which I've linked in this content description for anyone interested in checking it out. But without further delay, here's our conversation. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and... What do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Let's just kind of jump right into this, actually. And I want to kind of talk about a, like a recent piece of like contemporary um like news or, or I guess an article from mainstream media that I know for me was like reading it and you, you brought it up to me and I was like, huh, okay, this is probably causing uh, a lot more confusion in this area because, and, and obviously you can go into a bunch of detail in terms of things that probably fired you up about this one, but I don't think, you know, in terms of the way that they were looking at this through like a nutrition first lens, I don't think that's bad. I don't think that that necessarily is a bad thing. Um, I think that supplements as a whole, if it's probiotics or if it's any supplements, needs to be a supplement to the nutritional aspect of somebody's diet. Uh, they are not magic pills for any search. But I think what ended up being, at least for me, that kind of fired me up was that they were saying that, you know, if you're healthy, these things are actually going to be 
problematic to you or, or bad or any of those types of things harmful. And I think that's the wrong message that probably creates a ton of confusion in the market. But like, we're, what were you kind of getting from that article? Yeah. Um, I, I think like you, I think frustration mixed with confusion. Um, I, I felt that that article didn't really do a good job. I think of setting the tone for what has been done in the entire probiotic ingredient space for probably like, gosh, I don't know, the last 20 and 30 years. And particularly, I would say the quality of the science, the quality of like the studies, especially with any of the branded strains has just been up leveled significantly. And I think that's a function of um, increased competition in, in kind of the, the probiotic ingredient space. Then also, I think it's a function of the consumer becoming more educated and wanting something with some real teeth to it. And, and maybe the last point is that branded ingredient companies also are becoming a lot more mindful, both that they have to differentiate with uh, scientifically validated ingredients, but also, you know, like we saw with the 700-ish letters from, um, you know, FDA, FTC, like brands have to be a lot more mindful as far as how they communicate claims. And so that, that basically backpedals them to say, let's go and work with ingredient companies that are doing things right. And then obviously you have industry trade groups that have been out there, um, whether it's ISAP or IPA, you know, really, I think pushing for an efficacious, you know, good science type of, you know, perspective. Um, I think the other problem with that article is that, you know, when you kind of take like a first principles, common sense approach to things, if this really was the case, you know, why, why haven't more consumers, you know, rejected the category? Why, you know, have they, you know, I don't think we've seen them generally stopping, um, you know, consumption of probiotic and microbiome based, you know, products. You, what we've seen a plethora of launches of new products. We haven't really any seen, seen really any enforcement action, I think overall, both um, from the FDA and FTC level. So unfortunately I felt like it was more of, of, a, of a clickbait type of piece yeah. um, than anything. And I think it I think it really um, it ignores a lot of also the academic peer-reviewed science from world leading key opinion leaders, you know, across um, both America, Europe, and in throughout Asia um, that have shown like in countless studies, not only like really strong safety profiles, um, but also just like there being some legitimate efficacy markers there, on top of the fact that, you know, the FDA finally just approved, I think, um, you know, two microbiome based therapeutic, you know, um, drugs for the treatment of recurrent C. diff that are 100% bacterial based solutions. To my knowledge, there's no other kind of biotic ingredient component to it. So they had to pass a very high, you know, bar to be able to get there. So overall, I think, I think it probably got some attention. But my hunch is, is the average everyday consumer is is not going to candidly either they didn't read it, they didn't see it, or it's not really going to influence them because ultimately I think the consumer comes back and and, and asks, well, is this true for me? Um, and if they are a little bit concerned, they're going to go ask somebody like you or I or somebody kind of in their tribe or in their community, um, you know, is this true? And and hopefully I think there's enough education out there that. The category overall is, you know, safe and scientifically validated. And you mentioned 
around like branded uh, probiotic strains or I don't know you can kind of lump those into maybe a, a, a term like premium and yeah. I, I guess I, I think about premium more towards ones that have like clinical research and and have some validation to like a certain amount and that's what we're kind of sticking to or you know thinking about the other side maybe towards like just the commodity yeah and maybe that's a bad word or not but I always think about those as like lowest cost strains that are really like priced essentially by the like the CFUs it's just like how much can we kind of stuff there can you maybe talk through just the you know the commodity versus you know premium or branded strained kind of area yeah you know the the lens I'll take is you know why are we seeing kind of a, maybe a rise in kind of this separation between premium and kind of commoditization you know I think I think there's a, a few big factors that are driving it, right? If we look kind of at the probiotic space, you know, gosh, even just 10 years ago, it's very different than what it looks like today, you know, as far as just options, like even channels where it's being sold, you know, how approachable it is for a consumer to get their hands on it, to become aware of a new brand. Um, and so as I think the entire category has grown, a, a few things have started to happen, right? You have, B2B ingredient companies that have realized that um, they need to do something to differentiate themselves from the competition. And so they've invested in basically creating strains with higher levels of substantiation, you know, even going to the extent of like looking at the entire genome sequence and verifying, you know, that from a, a standardization perspective. Um, and then, you know, I think being much more mindful as far as wrapping um, you know, a regulatory layer and ensuring certain things, you know, to shelf life and stability and all of that. Um, and, and that started to proliferate. And then so as they started to do that, also, I think you have branded product companies that started to say, okay, as the space is becoming more crowded, you know, some brands want to take a very science first approach, where some are a little bit more about lifestyle and kind of just general kind of consumer marketing. And so, those finished product companies have started to ask for and inquire, you know, within the B2B ingredient space, hey, what do you have that actually has some like incredible science behind it? So we feel confident it meets like the values typically of a founder or a few, you know, a few co-founders that have kind of a, a personal health mission behind it or a certain ethos as far as the standards they want to maintain. And then I think also as, you know, I would say millennials and, and probably the, the younger Gen X um, you know, kind of demographic as, as they've kind of like, you know, gotten older and started to come into their higher earning years and this prioritization around wellness, you know, being much more proactive versus reactive. Um, they're starting to, to really like dive deep into the science and wanting to understand things. And so I think that's where the premiumization is, is started to occur. Um, and then I think, you know, the commodity perspective, I think, you know, like any, ingredient will always be there for any category and it you know um it has a purpose um you know it, it it meets certain companies that are finished products some of their kind of profiles um and also allows for certain price points to be hit for you know maybe consumers but i, I do think that it's incredible to see the quality of the science that's happening in the premium the premiumization of probiotic ingredients um and then also i do wonder you know, as we kind of think about this shifting, again, regulatory landscape around the ability to make claims and, you know, substantiate claims, if that's going to further drive the separation um, and the inclusion of those those premium strains. 
Um, but it, it remains to be seen. From your perspective, in terms of you know helping on that side of the business, in terms of formulating to drive you know if it's efficacy, and then also just trying to understand those questions around like how much is needed overall. I mean, those are things that I'm sure you're tackling constantly with clients, right? I mean, there's 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 a lot of ways you can kind of answer this question. You know, I think I think the consumer, you know, when when I have friends that ask me, you know, what probiotic should I buy? You know, is this amount of CFUs good or not? I, I think the average consumer doesn't understand that that more is always better um you know it really does come down to the you know it comes down to the science um and it comes down to you know in the in the same way that you know drugs are developed with you know a certain efficacious you know dose um you know we know that there's certain efficacious amounts of you know probiotics to get and substantiate probably a certain, you know, functional health benefit. Um, so it, you definitely like in a retail environment or direct to consumer, you see a wide range of things. Um, you know, I can't speak to, you know, why certain brands, um, you know, take their own certain marketing perspective. Um, but I do think that the, the general idea that more is better isn't necessarily one I think that's backed in by science and backed by, you know, actual you know, human clinical trial evidence. Um, and there are some companies that, you know, have have taken that stance of as far as trying to educate the consumer, like, hey, you know, you don't need to go to a trillion, you know, you don't need to go into this huge, like astronomical number to be able to have, you know, a beneficial effect. You really got to look at the science and and look at kind of, you know, what that specific, you know, species or strain has been studied for that specific condition. Um, what's been the response and at what level have has a response occurred. And sometimes it's at levels that, you know, um, you know, don't require you to have like an outsized amount. Um, and I think again, that's that's the great thing about investing in the science um, because you get to some of those answers and in um, hopefully some of that science can be then communicated to the consumer to reduce any confusion, which then further, you know, kind of comes back to the first point that we were talking about, which is how is it perceived in the media and how how are you know people that have um you know the voice and and the reach to write about the probiotic space um so they can be educated as well um so they can write more informed articles that that i think um generally help advance the space as well as help advance consumers understanding of you know how they can best use probiotics to to support their health now i, I was remembering a few years ago i spoke at uh, probiota and was on a panel and somebody had asked a question around just kind of, you know, what could push the probiotic space forward? Um, and it might've been, if I remember it correctly, it might've been like more holistically about just the biotic space in general. And and what I kind of focused on or what I was trying to, to question was more from like the, I guess the validation side from like a consumer, or maybe it's even personalization of a consumer of like, I think some of these, products that are general health and wellness products, there is a trust level that a consumer needs to be uh, involved with, with the brand or just the product categories as a whole and saying, I'm going to take these for the next 20 years of my life. Mm -hmm. And are they actually doing something for me? And am I taking the right amount? And there's a lot of those kind of questions that come up. And I was kind of mentioning around both from the benefit standpoint, where it would be nice if there was, you know, some type of 
you know, wearables or or some type of testing that you would know. I'm taking these things and the and the markers that I'm looking to try to uh, fix, they're improving. And then also, do I know that I'm taking the right stuff? And you probably know this stuff way more than me, but at the time I was I was really just answering it from a consumer standpoint and saying like, these are the things that for me, I would love to have because I do think there's a number of different categories across supplements that... Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're putting a lot of trust in that you know, they're supposed to work, but yet you're not really ever getting, unless you probably do very frequent blood panels or something like that, you're not necessarily knowing. And even within that, there's so many lifestyle factors and things going on that like, it would be hard to isolate. Is this what's actually helping or not? Um, so is there any of that kind of stuff that from your knowledge, that's like, I mean, I'm sure people are wrapping their heads around this, right? Yeah. So I think, I think there's a few ways to tackle that, right? Um, one is to invest the time and money and to do the human clinical studies and you do it in a reg, you know, uh, a rigorous way where there's, you know, proper, uh, placebo arm, um, you know, to be able to, to show a difference, um, you know, from kind of like a, an intervention perspective, you know, I think as far as kind of the commercial landscape, you know, there's, there's companies that are starting to, to layer on, you know, gut health testing is, is one example, um, to try and personalize, you know, probiotic, um, you know, a, a probiotic cocktail to get as close to N of one as possible, or to basically leverage, you know, microbiome based testing to uh, not only personalize potentially gut health, but other kind of like supplement categories. Um, so it's, it's definitely something that's becoming socialized. Um, has it reached kind of, I would say a mainstream, you know, usage and adoption at this point? Probably not. Um, you know, given some of the data I've seen from a variety of like syndicated data sources, but it's definitely, I think, top of mind. Um, and I, I think when you kind of think about the personalized supplement space, the, the probiotic ingredient, you know, as, you know, as people are going through and for the survey based personalization supplement companies, you know, one of the big questions they ask is, are you obviously trying to support and optimize your gut health? And, you know, obviously one of the most approachable ingredients to add to any formulation is going to be a probiotic strain. Um, but from a scientific perspective, I think, again, I think we're still in the early innings of trying to really figure that out. And candidly, I think some of the challenge is um, most of the probiotic strains that we have available to us are lactic acid bacteria. And, and they're basically strains that can be stable um, you know, we found a way to stabilize them, you know, put them into a powder, put them into a capsule, put them into a food and beverage. Um, and some of the, even if you do a test, some of the strains that maybe would be identified that you need more of that could be supportive of a variety of kind of like health outcomes. We, from a, from an industry perspective, from a manufacturing perspective, haven't figured out a way to take, you know, this super novel strain, um, basically put it through a manufacturing process at scale 
that has like shelf life stability that kind of meets both kind of like commercial and consumer needs. Um, but there are some companies on the horizon that are trying to figure that out, as well as I think some interesting kind of like, um, you know, technologies are, that are related to formulations that, you know, whether it's like micro encapsulation or other type of technologies that maybe will allow us to move in that direction, uh, which is exciting. But I, I do think personalization is, is increasingly becoming top of mind with the consumer. I think the final piece as it relates to kind of personalization and probiotics is how much are people willing to pay? Um, how much extra are they willing to pay? Because, and, and how much extra time are they willing to invest? Like, and also how many people are willing to, to basically, you know, essentially collect a stool sample at home. Yeah. So are there, are there other biomarkers that are, you know, either from like your saliva or your blood or your urine that could be used as proxies of that? I don't know. I think the other interesting thing, sorry about that. Um, I think the other, the other thing that's interesting is for a very long time, we've really been kind of constrained to understanding the gut microbiome from basically the large intestine. And so now there's some technologies that are out there that um, allow you to swallow a little capsule. It's very inexpensive and it can basically sample your small intestinal microbiome, which has been super, super hard to get at because basically you have to do some sort of like an endoscopy procedure. Hmm. Um, and so there's, there's, there's a cool company, um, that's out there and there's a few other kind of like capsule companies, um, you know, in the space that I think might be allowing us to finally have end to end gut health, multi-omic visibility, which will then allow us to say, huh, what, what do I know about how a certain probiotic actually interacts throughout the entire GI? Or it's going to allow us to potentially, um, you know, formulate some novel probiotics that's maybe specifically target something that's beneficial to the small intestine. So it's going to be, I think the next five to seven years are going to be really um, interesting, both from how much can, how far is the consumer willing to pay and adopt new technologies to push personalization? And how much from a science and manufacturing capability can we advance things to to be able to make that happen? But um, thinking, I guess, even a little bit more towards uh, some other kind of growth areas or growth opportunities for, you know, and it could be probiotics, but I guess we could think about this as biotics as, a, as holistically. Um, I'm thinking, you know, formats have been a big um, situation. I mean, e even if we think about, we probably surveyed then the person that would be walking down the street and we said probiotics, they would probably relate that to yogurt. Like, I just mm -hmm. think that's how people would think like, yeah. oh, that, you know, I need to get in yogurt. But then, okay, that's the way that it's always been thought of. Now we're starting to think, I think, formats, innovation that way. And then also thinking about how do those formats work better within like retail distribution points and driving like consumer behavior, like all that stuff, I think now is being uh, approached in a much more, um, alignment, strategic alignment way than it used to be. Um, what are you kind of seeing from your side? Is that going to be a big driver in terms of like just different formats? I mean, obviously people can pick out product categories that are on fire right now, uh, but I, I've seen more people thinking about, you know, gut wellness in the CPG play and, and trying to add them into different areas of their lifestyle that's more, you know, relatable than than just thinking about having yogurt in the morning. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. You know, I would I would actually argue that I think most consumers, probably up until again like five maybe even three years ago, when when they thought about you know getting a, a probiotic in their is a part of their daily kind of like 
you know, wellness regimen. I would say yogurt for sure. And I would say, I, I think there'd be an argument to be made for, you know, kind of a capsule supplement form as well. Um, but definitely within the last two years, um, you, you, we've seen both an explosion, I think, in the expansion of what I'll call, um, you know, biome or biotic ingredients, um, you know, beyond just probiotics, obviously prebiotics, now postbiotics. Um, you've seen an explosion as far as like what I call the occasion diversity of being able to take a, a probiotic or a, a, a biome-based ingredient from just being basically pretty much siloed to from yogurt and kind of supplements to other food and bev categories. And, and that's due again to manufacturing and technology capabilities. Um, and also I think um, you have different demographics of consumers wanting to wanting to build their wellness regimen around food and beverage a little bit more versus, you know, um, supplements per se. So, I mean, definitely beverages is a huge example um, of a category, um, you know, I mean, you're you're starting to see probiotics being put in a variety of food applications, you know, from from cookies to, you know, like the kind of the confection dessert space to, um, you know, a ton of beverages, obviously. I mean, the digestive health beverage set was partially built on kind of this concept of getting your probiotics, uh, you know, in that format. But now you're starting to see it in um, a, a myriad of, of, of other kind of like functional beverage formats as well. Um, and then obviously like energy bars and, and, and so the consumer is the, the growth of seeing a probiotic term on, on a label has like exploded, you know, substantially. But again, when you look at the syndicated data, the stuff that I've seen shows that, you know, if you kind of separate, um, supplements from food and Bev food and Bev is, is leading a lot of that growth and, a lot of that growth is coming from a lot of like, you know, compound annual growth is coming from, from the beverage space. Um, so I think, I think what's going to be most interesting to watch, you know, from a trend perspective is what are people, what are the combinations that, that companies are going to start putting together and what's going to resonate with the consumer? Is it going to be, you know, the, the continuance and the advancement of like multi-strain probiotic products? Um, or is it going to be, you know, adding a pro plus a pre or a pro plus a post or adding all three? I think the final thing to, to think about, you know, as we try and figure out where things are going to go is each format has almost their own, you know, cost of good structure, which has to be, um, I think heavily considered. And so if that cost of good structure is such that the margin structure is typically smaller, it's going to limit probably the amount of biome-based ingredients or the amount of probiotic strains or potentially even the amount of just one probiotic strain that they can, you know, financially load into that product format. Um, but I think from all the data I've seen, it's, it's only going to be growing in food and Bev. Um, and obviously I think overall the category is going to continue to, to be very strong for, for the main reason that, um, most consumers are not only associating gut health, like, probiotics with gut health, but they're also associating like the consumption of probiotics and in, in supporting their gut also then supports other body systems. You know, you're starting to see like gut brain access, gut liver access, gut mu muscle access, gut lung access, gut skin access. Um, so there, there's a lot of, there, there's a lot of like acceptance that, Hey, if I take care of my gut, it's going to help me in, in, in a, a lot of other ways. Um, 
um, throughout my body. And I think that's that's going to be that's going to be really interesting to watch to see how far you know the consumer is going to be willing to essentially integrate uh, multiple probiotic or biome-based products into their wellness regimen um, to support the other body systems. Yeah, it'll be interesting because I think at least a good majority is still thinking about it through maybe uh, a problem saying, you know, I have some, you know, digestive health problem or or something that I'm trying to solve. And that's where they're maybe getting a lot of their interest or or that's going to be the reason they're sparking that decision to buy a product. But I think as things start to open up this you know, group of of biotic ingredients, the, that type of thing. You start to look at this more for from a improvement of certain things. You start to look at it in that way. Um, it becomes something that isn't just problem solving. It's it's actually uh, you know trying to optimize uh, for certain things, which I think then gets us into so many different like commercial um, types of areas. And maybe those commercial areas uh, allow for some of these price points and, and cost of good formulas to be a little bit higher because people, when they are past their basic kind of needs, they are willing to pay more for certain things. So maybe this pushes all of that a little bit forward because, you know, when you're just trying to solve a specific problem, you tend to probably do that in the you know, the the least costly way. Sometimes you're just like, I need to fix this quickly and then, you know, kind of move on and, and I'll be okay. But I think this all kind of maybe goes together um, in some kind of lock and step kind of way over time that could improve um, the category as a whole. Yeah, I was just reading an article in beverage industry um, online and there was an interesting stat that they put in there. It said, and I don't remember the source, but 68% of, of global uh, consumers stated that they're interested in products that address digestive health, even when they're not experiencing concerns. And so there is definitely, you know, I think there's there's definitely that mindset of proactivity. And, you know, when you think about, does somebody come into the probiotic category um, because of a specific, you know, health like situation that's kind of an acute or something that's been kind of like lingering versus a consumer that is coming into it from a proactive perspective. I think the nice thing about the consumer that's coming into it with a problem um, is that if that product, if the probiotic solves the problem, you're gonna keep them on. Yeah. And whereas it's almost like the flip side that the the proactive consumer is coming into it because they know it's gonna benefit them and it's on the product and it's on the category to to keep them there by sh- by showing them through like however they're feeling or whatever they're experiencing, whatever they're seeking to optimize, that it's addressing their needs. And it's then is going to keep that customer, you know, continuing to buy that probiotic in whatever kind of format, um, you know, they prefer. So there, there's definitely, I think, that growing, you know, desirability to optimize your gut health, um, even when there's not a problem. Because again, we know that a good and healthy gut basically supports so many other parts of our body. I, I think the final piece related to food as medicine is, which I think would be a huge unlock, um, you know, in general for kind of the microbiome based ingredient spaces to to somehow integrate those ingredients into food as medicine initiatives. Mm-hmm. And because that is increasingly becoming reimbursed as well, whether it's through medically tailored meals where maybe you put some probiotics or prebiotics or postbiotics in there, um, 
or through basically what they call medically tailored groceries. And so there's certain allocations by certain health plans that give, you know, a, a consumer a certain amount of stipend they can go into a grocery store and basically buy certain things that are designated as healthy and it doesn't hit, you know, their wallet personally, it comes out of kind of a special, a special bucket. So I think some of the evolution of the food is medicine space is something to definitely watch, um, you know, for probiotic in the broader microbiome ingredient space. I definitely enjoyed where your head went with that because that was yeah. instantly kind of where my head went as well. But I want to just overall just thank you, Noah, for your time, your insights. I thought this conversation was great. I know my audience is going to love it as well. So I just want to, you know, show my appreciation for the time that you gave me. Uh, equally, super appreciative you had me. Um, it's 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 something that uh, I've really enjoyed, and I've always enjoyed and followed your content. So to be able to to sit down with you and, and be a part of it is is a real honor. So thank you so much. But I just want to end with some quick final thoughts. As you've heard from our conversation, supplement brands looking to increase the efficacy and attractiveness of finished products containing probiotics need to lean into clinically researched strains and avoid getting caught in the price by CFU count commoditization trap. While consumers have become increasingly knowledgeable about probiotics' effect on digestive issues, it's that expansion in positioning that will require supplement brands to think about an integrated marketing approach that meets the consumer where they are at in a way that breaks down scientific findings into easy to understand nuggets of information. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode. If you have any comments or questions about anything I discussed during it, open the podcast episode notes and click on any of my social media account links to reach out to me directly. 